You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. And welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. I'm Johnston, and this week you're joining us to talk about Doctor Who books, uh, specifically the New Adventures, the Missing Adventures, the Eight Doctor Adventures, and the Past Doctor Adventures. Four ranges that produced, I think it was hundreds of books between them. Um, I have to admit, it's not a subject that I'm an expert on, but thankfully I'm joined by two people who know a hell of a lot more than I do, uh, and they are Mansour Hello. and Greg. Hello everyone. Uh, so thank you both for joining me. I've been looking forward to this one because I think I I might learn a thing or two about Doctor Who, which uh, doesn't happen often. Normally we talk about Big Finish and we talk about the TV series, and I've kind of done I've done all the TV, I've done most of Big Finish books, I've done a few, but yeah, it's a bit of a blank spot, so I'm I'm looking forward to this. Um, so the first range we're going to discuss is the new adventures, uh, continuing adventures for the Seventh Doctor and Ace once the original TV series had ended. Um, so you guys have kind of read most if not all of these so uh mansell tell us about your experiences with this range uh i'm trying to think back because i yeah i bought and read a lot of them when they first came out and how like i remember there was no kind of announcement or press release or anything that i was aware of the way i discovered that these existed is the show had been off the air for a few years and i went to the museum of the moving image that was doing a Doctor Who exhibition and I think it was just in the gift shop there was a big display um and yeah they had the the first the first book and uh yeah I just discovered that there was this new series of books that they were putting out uh which is quite exciting because um I did watch the last little bit of the tv show but the way I got into Doctor Who was the target novelizations so a whole new set of brand new stories was uh yeah particularly exciting so yeah that must have been pretty brilliant seeing that sort of brand new doctor who uh for the first time since the series ended i can imagine it was pretty exciting at the time um what about you greg so obviously doctor who was a very cult thing here in the u.s at that time and um my aunt and uncle who lived thousand miles away from me in Denver, um, knew I was a Doctor Who fan as a kid. And so every year at Christmas, they would send me some kind of Doctor Who related gift in the mail. And 
one year was probably, I don't know, 93, 94. They sent me a copy of The Highest Science by Gareth Roberts. And I was confused by it because I, I knew that like the target novelizations existed. I mean, even though they obviously weren't readily available in the U.S., but this was clearly not a novelization of a TV episode. And it featured a companion that was completely new. And so I started reading the book and I'm like, wait a minute, this is, this is, I'm kind of jumping into the middle of something here. And that's when I started, you know, checking bookstores and catalogs and things, because of course there was no internet to jump on and Google at that point. And I discovered that they were starting this whole range of original Doctor Who novels. And yeah, I mean, I, I, we probably ordered some from overseas and found some in local bookshops. And yeah, I just started reading them as they came out. And um, it was, I mean, this was at the time, this was Doctor Who. The, the NAs were it. Even the Doctor Who magazine comics at the time were tied directly into the new adventures. Like this was the singular, like continuing story of Doctor Who. And that was not true of the eighth Doctor adventures. And that was not true of Big Finish. So um, it, it was, it was defining and they were so much better and so much different than what you'd normally expect from science fiction, TV tie-in novels. And yeah, I fell in love with them right away. I think they made, they made like, um, uh, quite deliberate choice in terms of tone and pitching it at an older audience, which is probably a very sensible thing to do because they, you know, Doctor Who was off the air. Doctor Who fans were older. They weren't skewing younger as they might have done, uh, you know, back in the 60s or 70s. Um, and, yeah, that was exciting as well, That like the, the tone and the nature of the story was just growing up with the audience as well. Yeah, I was probably, I don't know, 11 or 12 when I first started reading them, and that's, you know, right at the age where you're strongly like pushing away childish stuff and now you want everything to be more grown up. And so, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, some people criticize the NAs for being, you know, too adult and trying too hard. And I think there's positives and negatives to that characterization, but being that age, I was right in the target of like getting aging and being like, Oh, this is, this book is for adults. Like this is, this is cool. I think they did like a, a lot like TV Torchwood. I think, in the first few stories, they were quite possibly, yeah, going a bit too far and doing it just for the sake of it. But then I think very quickly they fall into a rhythm of using that creative freedom in a much more interesting way. Honestly, I think it's the first book. <laughs> like, Time Worm Genesis yeah. is embarrassing. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. the, the, it opens with Ace wandering naked around the TARDIS, and then the story has like topless underage servant girls and it, it's just kind of weird and icky. And, you know, when you get into uh, Exodus, the next book, I mean, it's certainly adult in content, but I mean, it's, it's nothing like that. It's really that first book that's just needlessly gratuitous. And I guarantee that turned a lot of people off of the range. Uh, that is one of the very few that I've actually read. And it immediately, it's to be honest, I made the exact link that you kind of made there, which is, this is like the first few episodes of Torchwood where it's too busy going, look, we're adult, we're really adult now, we're for grown-ups and everything, that it kind of, everything else kind of gets eclipsed by it and it doesn't really work. Um, but yeah, it, it's. I think it's a range, I get the impression it's a range that found its feet 
pretty quickly. Um, so I believe you've both picked one highlight of the range that you'd like to discuss. So Greg, you go first. What's yours? Yeah, so I wanted to stay away from books that had been adapted by Big Finish because, of course, those are pretty accessible. I mean, if you wanted to pick one of those, you'd probably go with Damaged Goods to get the you know Russell Davis book, or you'd pick... Um, Love and War, which was one of the first like definitional books, but I'm going with uh, the Also People, which actually came out near the end of the range, and it's it's a book that it's not nearly as heavy as the NAs could get. It's not dark. It's not particularly grim or violent or anything like that. It's actually the Doctor and his companions, who at that point are Benny, Chris, and Roz, and they're basically on on a holiday. It's one of these more relaxing kind of adventures where really the conflict at the center of it is they're just solving a single murder. But it's set in this completely insane, you know, hyper-advanced society inside of a Dyson sphere, like a, a society you know, called the People. They're they're on a technological par with the Time Lords. They have a in fact have a non-aggression pact with them. Um, I I haven't read Ian Banks, but I'm told that this is basically just lifted wholesale from his culture novels, but that's very traditional for Doctor Who. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's this combination of just insanely ambitious world building, and then it really digs into the Doctor's character. Like this book is set at a point in the range where he's trying to get away from his Times champion persona. He's trying to like become more like what he used to be. He's trying to rebuild his relationships with his companions. And it, it really digs into that. It's, um, it's really well written. I mean, you know, it's, it's by an author who's now, you know, got the rivers of London range, you know, as a published successful fantasy author in his own right. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the best it's acclaimed as one of the best. I'm not surprising anyone by picking this, but, um, yeah. I mean, if, if, if you can find it and, you know, you want to, just kind of get an idea of what, you know, Doctor Who in this era felt like, um, try this because it's it's so much bigger and more expansive than the TV show ever was or really ever could be. It's intelligent, it's funny, it's it's deep, it's it's an excellent novel and I, I highly recommend it. I think it's, it's an example as well of how the, yeah, the new adventures have a certain tone and approach and ongoing stories, but they also do jump around different genres and and this was like an example of how yeah some of that variation like there, there were ones that were more comedy uh some that were more horror uh and then this one yeah was yeah as he described a really sort of interesting high concept sci-fi one and it works because people have this there's these images that people have of the new adventures um and one of them is that they're relentlessly dark and grim and miserable and violent and everyone's suffering all the time and the, the companions are sobbing and the doctor is being cruel. And not that those things don't ever happen, but that is really not the tone of the entire range. Like, as you said, it, it goes all over the place. Like, it is very much like Doctor Who, the TV show, in terms of the different tones and things it explores. It just obviously can do more with them it's one i've never encountered but definitely one that i'd be tempted to search out uh what's your choice Mansour? um i found it really hard to choose because 
I was looking through and there were so many things I could have chosen. I did steer away from the ones that have been adapted, which are all uh, really strong choices, like All Consuming Fire or Love and War, um, uh, Damaged Goods as well. Um, the one I picked was So Vile a Sin. Um, and obviously, spoiler warning for uh, these books and this series as a whole, if you want to pause the podcast and go and find all um, 84 books that have been out of print for decades and read them first and then come back, feel free to do so. Um, but yeah, So Vile a Sin is the story where Roz, uh, the regular companion, one of the regular companions at the time, um, dies. And it's uh yeah it's a really sort of affecting story in its own right it makes me think of um death in the family and the whole um arcs that a big finish have done with the seventh doctor um yeah the way he's impacted by the loss is really really heartbreaking um i think at a funeral he basically uh falls to his knees and and is so uh, consumed with grief that one of his hearts stops. Um, so it's, yeah. And it, it ties into all of these, um, again, like these ongoing plot lines that have been running through the books as well. Cause, uh, I'm thinking back going off memory, uh, decades ago, but I believe it was the payoff of a deal that the doctor had made with death, um, in a previous story. Uh, and this was the price he was paying for, um, something that he'd arranged with death in the past um so yeah really big emotional story and you really feel it as well because um i think chris and Roz are some of the strongest extended universe companions um the doctor who's ever had um and i'm a little bit sad that big finish hasn't done a bit more more with them and had them sort of pop up in new original stories more i really like that book um I mean, at the time, it was infamously delayed because of a hard drive crash, and Kate Orman had to swoop in and kind of finish the novel. And um, it, it's 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 a it's one of the best companion departures that Doctor Who has ever had in any medium. And I love the Doctor's relationship with Roz leading up to that because you know Chris has always been this you know younger, more naive character, whereas Roz is more of this seen it all, you know, hard-bitten police officer slash soldier, but she's always, she'll, she'll dispute with the doctor, but she ultimately kind of views him as a superior officer and she'll do what he tells her to do. And the doctor's always afraid that like something's going to end up getting her killed. And of course that is, you know, what ends up happening, although it's not so much his actions as her own choices that lead to it, but nonetheless, it's, it's kind of a, a heartbreaking end to an ongoing arc and it, it's, it's really done well. Like it's, it's another one of the high points of the range. It's one that I'm, uh, I'm disappointed hasn't been adapted. Cause I think it, if I'm right, it follows on immediately from uh, damaged goods, doesn't it? So I, I, I'd quite like big finish to have a go at it. So we'd have damaged goods and this as well. And we've had um, Ros and Chris's, introduction on audio haven't we because they did um original sin that's right they did. Yeah. yeah yeah so yeah it would be nice to have um at least her exit uh, on audio as well and i do wish we'd have more from this team it's i'm only familiar with them through big finish but obviously we got the new adventures set from big finish off the back of the adaptations that they were in 
I would like to see more from these characters or hear more from these characters because uh, everything that has been so far has been very enjoyable. Um, so we'll move on to uh, the next range on our list to discuss, which is the Missing Adventures, um, a sort of similar to the New Adventures range, but with with past Doctors. So what was your experience, initial experience with this range, Mansour? Uh, so the Missing Adventures came a little bit later. I think once the New Adventures were doing reasonably well and they got into a bit of a publishing cycle, they brought out this second range, um, which was exciting to have, again, more stories with all these other um, previous Doctors. That that thing that was missing was the fact that you know the Virgin New Adventures were this new ongoing source of current Doctor Who. And obviously, by definition, the missing adventures aren't going to give you that. But like at that time in the nineties, there there wasn't big finish. There wasn't loads and loads of extended universe stuff. The show was off the air, so it was still really exciting to have a new book with the Fifth Doctor as the first, you know, the first volume, and for this range to exist. And they did some really nice um, uh, connections. Not every month, but. Sometimes the new adventure and the missing adventure coming out would have a link to each other um, or maybe tell two sides of connected story or have some little little connection between them. Um, so that was that was really interesting as well. And um, what about you, Greg? The thing to remember about the missing adventures is when those came out, the idea of new stories with old doctors was not something that happened. I mean, <clears throat> you might occasionally get I don't remember exactly when like those BBC radio John Pertwee stories came out. I mean, I know you had the target novelizations of the lost season 23 and so forth, but there wasn't new material being created for the most part uh, related to past doctors. And so this was almost as mind blowing as the new adventures to get this like, wow, I get a new Patrick Troughton book. And what I loved about that range was that instead of trying to go back and slavishly recreate the tone of whatever era they were doing they for the most part took the same path as the new adventures and just pushed the boat out and said we're gonna make these you know wild experimental sci-fi novels featuring the older doctors and not all of them do that you know some of the the gareth roberts ones are very specific homages to season 17 for example but some of them like the one i'm going to talk about in a minute here are really interesting and, and and new and fresh and i i liked this range quite a bit as well go on then greg what's your choice so i'm going with a, a novel called time of your life uh by uh, steve lyons which was early on in the missing adventure range it's a colin baker story and it's it's basically a very angry story about the television industry written from the perspective of a Doctor Who fan who just hates it because they took away Doctor Who. Um, it's just this deeply cynical, violent, it's set on a planet which is basically, you know, run by by television. It's it's kind of similar to what we got, what we saw in um, at the end of, of series one of the new TV series. Um, and it, it also features a take on the sixth Doctor that, to this point now, we're not really used to because when Colin Baker started playing the role again for Big Finish, you know, he really like 
turned it into a new thing. You know, we followed that like nicer portrayal that you were kind of seeing in, in Trial of a Time Lord. And, you know, the doctor was not not as angry or as rude or as brash as he used to be. Well, in this story, he is 100% season 22 Colin Baker, and he is angry and he is, you know, willing to take drastic action that perhaps some of his other incarnations wouldn't take. Um, he spends in traditional Eric Sayward tradition, um, a good chunk of the story completely isolated from the plot. Um, it does introduce, uh, actually a couple of different, uh, potential new companion characters, which, you know, I won't spoil if anyone wants to go find the 25 year old out of print novel. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's really taking, where the Colin Baker era was potentially leading and turning it up to 11 and doing it in novel form. And I, I really enjoyed it. Excellent stuff. I have to admit, it's one that I don't think I've ever heard of at all, but it does sound particularly interesting. Um, shame that it's rather difficult to get hold of, as you've mentioned. Uh, what's your choice for this range, Mansell? My choice, um, in hindsight, is probably not a very representative one for this range and i've done the same with the past doctor adventures later but uh, i've gone for um cold fusion which is actually a kind of uh fifth doctor seventh doctor crossover big finish did adapt it and i'm trying to think back i think in terms of how they uh, kind of pitched it um in terms of which theme tune they used they used I believe the new new adventures theme tune that they created. So it's as a story, it's basically a bit of a new adventure by stealth that's slotted into the um, the missing adventures range. Um, again, like thinking back, this is a few decades back. Um, we weren't getting multi doctor stories every other month. Um, it was still a massive novelty to have two of them meet, um, and I think this story did something really interesting with the multi-doctor aspect because it wasn't just um two doctors meeting and then bickering and then getting on and 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 fixing a problem the specific personalities of those two doctors was really crucial to the way that they interacted and the way the plot um panned out um another thing that was really memorable about this story is that it was digging into that um some of the mythology that the books were setting up with the you know hinting at the doctor's past and his family and relationships and um yeah and that was always really interesting as well again this is like a couple of decades before the timeless children when that sort of stuff felt really fresh and interesting and new and was doing that um we, we know now that it was kind of a bit of a uh sort of um a more maybe a less substantial thing that we thought, but it was building on that Cartmore master plan that people talked about. Um, the idea that they were going to reveal loads of interesting stuff on TV if the show had carried on after 1989. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that's uh, that's why that one stuck in my mind. I really like that story because of the perspective of it. Um, it's written as a Fifth Doctor missing adventure. And the seventh doctor and his companions are very much guest stars in it. In fact, you know, some of them are in disguise and we don't even know for sure who they are until partway through the story. And it's, it's incredible. It's, it's incredibly fascinating um, specifically because, you know, we all know the seventh doctor is the manipulative doctor 
And there was always the question in multi-doctor stories leading up to this, like, you know, how does this work in terms of, you know, in the five doctors, does the fifth doctor remember having done this four different times before? And everyone just kind of assumed, ah, probably not. There's got to be some reason why they don't. And at least in this story, you find out that the seventh doctor remembers every single moment of it and uses his foreknowledge to manipulate his earlier self. And it's, oh, it's good. The, the manipulation is really interesting because it's, it makes me think of um, like a big Finnish arc that has been talked about but never actually happened, which was the seventh doctor versus the eighth doctor. Um, I, can't, I can't remember the name of the, the story or the, the arc that would have explored that, but this is a similar thing of that manipulative seventh doctor who's at some point in opposition to or in conflict with another very very different um, incarnation it's a really really interesting idea and i think one that I'd, i'd still like to see big finish do in some way shape or form and i think the seventh doctor is the doctor to do that with because he does that have does have that manipulative dark side and I, I suspect he, he found some way around that that memory rule because there's that little hint in some of the River stories as well, isn't there, that he's one of the ones that remembers her or knows about her when the others don't. And, yeah, I can see him, I can see the Seventh Doctor putting something in place to counteract or um, reverse the memory wipe stuff that happens when he crosses over with other incarnations. Yeah, it's a really interesting thought. Um, maybe we'll see it in the future, perhaps from Big Finish, perhaps elsewhere. But yeah, definitely a sort of very interesting concept. And obviously I'm familiar with Cold Fusion through the adaptation. Really enjoyed it. Slightly difficult one to follow, but a few listens has kind of got it got it there for me now. Um, let's Let's have a look at the next range on our list then, which is the Eighth Doctor Adventures. Uh, one I'm a little bit more familiar with than anything we've talked about previously. Um, so, Mansour, the Eighth Doctor Adventures. What were your sort of your first experiences with that? Um, so the, the the Virgin Ranges ended, and then there were these two new BBC ranges that started, and they were separated by the um, the Paul McGann TV movie, which we all got really excited about and thought would be the start of a new. Um, uh, uh, co-production with a massive budget that would do amazingly well um, and then it didn't it was just one TV movie and it was done um, but then the BBC wanted to take the books back in-house and they started publishing I think they started their past Doctor and Eighth Doctor ranges at the same time um, and and yeah and the Eighth Doctor adventures were for a time um Again, doing that thing of being the most up-to-date current version of Doctor Who, lots of ongoing plot lines, new companions, um, big high-concept arcs and threats and villains. Um, and they they sort of carried forward some of the new adventures energy, but I'd say uh, maybe didn't take as big swings. Or they still did some really interesting stuff, um, but the new adventures were kind of probably a bit more experimental a little bit more um uh, more out there in terms of different things that they were trying and what about you greg yeah the eighth doctor adventures were 
in some ways initially felt a little disappointing when they came out because, you know, you, you jump in with the eight doctors, which is just Terrence Dix throwing as much continuity at you as he can think of. And obviously he can think of a lot. And, you know, the first few novels, excluding vampire science, which was good. The first few novels, just there's not much to them. Like they're not all bad, but they're just not particularly interesting. Like when they first introduce Sam, the new companion, like she's as generic as anything. It's just, it really, people were afraid when the BBC brought it back in house that, oh, they're just going to bleed all of the imagination and energy that, you know, Virgin was giving the range, giving Doctor Who. And for the first few novels, it honestly felt like that. And everyone said, oh, oh boy, like this is, this is not good. Like, you know, they've ruined our books. And then, well, again, the book I'm going to talk about was the one that, that changed everyone's mind and blew the whole thing wide open. And that book is? And that book is Alien Bodies by Lawrence Miles, which introduced a number of concepts that would become foundational to the Doctor Who extended universe for a long time to come, especially Faction Paradox. But it, it's really just a novel that completely like reframes what we know about Gallifrey, what we know about the Doctor's relationship with the Time Lord, what we what we think of when we think of of Gallifrey it it introduces this idea of a war going on between the time lords and some equally powerful but unknown enemy um it uses plot devices that we would see again when it came to uh the name of the doctor much later on you know in, in the Stephen Moffat era you know there, there's a lot of a lot of actual you know, similarities between some of the things Moffat did with Doctor Who and what Miles did with Doctor Who. And that's because both of them are really interested in examining like the Doctor, not just as a character, but as a myth, as a, as a representational figure. And that's something that even the new adventures really didn't do. So, you know, to read alien bodies is to get like a whole new perspective on the, on the show, on the character. And it just, it sets up so much material that continues on as a story arc for basically the entire first half of the eighth doctor range. Um, it's also just really well written. It, you know, it's one of these books that takes a, a kind of crappy classic series monster, in this case, the crotons and turns them into something really interesting and scary. It's, it's just, it's, it's really good. And it's, it's the kind it, it again, it's, it's the book that brought everyone back the range it's the book that said no no this is going to be good like we are going to be doing interesting things just like virgin was doing so yeah stick with it and this this is this is honestly this is a great place to jump in like you don't really even need to do i think this is like the sixth one or something like that you really don't even need to do the ones beforehand like you don't need sam's introduction you can kind of figure her out pretty quickly here yeah i agree it's like i mean i'm looking at the list that comes before it and yeah the eighth doctors is uh, it's like it's a pretty much introducing the fact that there are past doctors and sort of rerunning some of their adventures and it, it, it's like um we talked on the rtd episode of this podcast about how um they learned so much from the tv movie about how not to introduce reintroduce a franchise and the eight doctors seems to just kind of do that same mistake of just doing a massive lore dump as your opening story um yeah like vampire science is all right the body snatchers i think i remember 
being pretty good. But like, yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's Alien Bodies is the one where it really grabs your attention and makes you think, yes, this is this is going to be interesting and um, and worth uh, sticking with. It's um, like I remember uh, like reading it and I was going to see a friend walking just down the road to see them. And like I was so engrossed in reading it that I was um, reading as I was walking, which is not very safe at all. But um, yeah, it's just kind of a indication of how, how uh, yeah, engrossing it was. And I think the difference primarily between the BBC ongoing stories and the Virgin ongoing stories was that the Virgin books were trying to be like experimental science fiction novels first and foremost. Like obviously there was some continuity carrying through, like they were picking up on the whole Times Champion idea from the end of the TV show and running with that. But the locations, the concepts were basically completely original or inspired by other non-Doctor Who works. Whereas in the BBC books and the Eighth Doctor Adventures, they're much more Doctor Who continuity oriented and, and not necessarily in a boring or fanish way. Unfortunately, the Eighth, the Eighth Doctors is, but you know, Alien Bodies is steeped in Doctor Who lore. And, and yet it, it reframes it all in such an interesting way. And, you know, the first time I read it, it like blew my mind. I, I didn't it was doing things with Doctor Who that I didn't think were possible. And that's really what made me want to read more. So it, it is a little more fan oriented. It's not just pure sci-fi in that sense. It's more of a, of a tie in range, if you will, but, but still, I mean, some of the novels and this is definitely one of them are truly excellent. It sounds thoroughly interesting and I might have to try and uh, get myself to that one. I think I've even got it on a shelf somewhere, but I've never read it. So I'll give it a go. Uh, meanwhile, Mansell, what's your pick from this range? Uh, so mine's uh, a little bit later in the range, and the book is Unnatural History. Um, and it, it kind of puts some of those same same points, actually. Like, a lot of the... I think it's a good book in itself, but, like, it it, it is unashamedly a, a Doctor Who book, and uh, a lot of the themes and things that it digs into are about interrogating the mythology and the character and um and like one of the things that sticks with me that i was talking to someone about recently was um the way it deals with the doctor's past and um sort of does this trick of retconning the different uh origin stories or past versions of gallifrey that we've seen hinted at um but then also reintroducing a sense of mystery but not doing it in a heavy-handed we have to make it all fit sort of way. And in fact, the whole theme of the the book is that um, things don't fit neatly, that people's pasts are complex and dynamic and, um, and in flux, um, and you can't pin down um, the Doctor's origins to any one point or any one story. Um, so I thought it was, a, it was a really nice kind of having your cake and eat it situation of doing this retcon and tidying up of the mythology but also making a really interesting point about um yeah people's identities and how they're in flux and they're not stable or determined by the past yeah and it's really uh like you're it's really a meta look at arguments that were going on in fandom at the time because you know if you were on the old 
Usenet groups or on the early forums. And, you know, a lot of these authors were posting there, like there would be arguments about, you know, oh, the TV movies of the doctor's half human, so you got to do that. And other people say, oh, well, you just got to ignore that because that's obvious nonsense. And that would lead into these bigger debates over, you know, what's canon and what's not. And I mean, I know uh, John Blum in particular from his postings over the years is very opposed to the idea of, you know, a fixed Doctor Who canon and this novel is really a, a emblematic of that. Um, it, it, it really, like you were saying, it, it, it just, it makes the argument that like you, you can't pin this character down. You can't pin this person's background down. There is no, you know, specific origin story. There's no future story. This is someone who's, who's traversed the universe and time so much that you don't even know really what or who they are anymore. And, that's just a really nice way to sidestep having to exhaustively research what was at the time 30 plus years of continuity and try to make it all fit together. Yeah, again, it's like a good jumping on point because it's you, you don't have to do this law dump to explain every single one of those past you know 500 stories. Um, you're just sort of saying, look, that's not important. What's important is now and what's happening from this point on. And I think with the half-human thong- thing, um, I think this Unnatural History was set in San Francisco, wasn't it? And it had some little, it was almost a kind of semi-sequel to the TV movie um, in terms of where it was set and referring to that, to the change that the movie made to the mythology. Yeah, it, it directly engages with that, and it's, and it, but it does so in a way where it still doesn't give you a definitive answer. I love the fact that you mentioned these debates about canon and that kind of thing that went on in the early days of the internet. They're still going on now. It's never going to end. Um, it's it's kind of nice to see, in some ways, that some things remain consistent. Well, um, as we as we know, the only the only Doctor Who material that has ever been declared canon by the BBC or a BBC related entity are those five computer adventure games with Matt Smith. Um, that's the only one where they've ever used the word canon. So everything else is up in the air, but those happened. Good grief, you're right. Everything else is a lie. <laughs> um, let's move on uh, on to the last range that we're looking at in this episode. Um, so as the New Adventures had the Missing Adventures as a companion piece, the Eighth Doctor Adventures had the Past Doctor Adventures, which is where adventures for all the Doctors that weren't the Eighth Doctor went. Um, so again, Mansoor, you go first. What what was your experience with the the PDAs at the time? Uh, I'm thinking back again, and I think that there's a lot of I, I have all the PDAs, but there's a lot that I haven't read. Um, there were some very good ones, but I think compared to the Virgin Missing Adventures, the PDAs, the Past Doctor Adventures from the BBC, I feel like they really skewed much more towards let's just recreate the era or, or ape what was going on at the time it's not all of them by any means i remember there was one um called rags which was a third doctor adventure and it couldn't have been less like the tone of um tv third doctor stories it was very weird and very different and dark um so some of them did still play around with tone and do something more interesting but i think yeah that, that's my memory of it i don't know whether that's fair or not um uh, but yeah, it feels like they they sort of trod a bit of more traditional path than the Virgin Missing Adventures. And you, Greg? 
I share that memory. Um, the past Doctor Adventures, my least favorite of the four ranges, precisely for that reason. Like it is definitely the one that sticks closest to the TV series. It's also, um, it's one of the, it's it's hard to not be disappointed by the Seventh Doctor PDAs, because those are going back to, you know, his television characterization, and you've just come off of having sixty. Doctor Who novels, which took the Seventh Doctor era and pushed it completely out, you know, beyond anything the TV show could possibly have conceived of. And now you're back to having, you know, the Doctor and Ace fight the Cybermen. And it's like, it's fine, but it's just like, this isn't what, you know, this isn't my Seventh Doctor anymore, you know. Um, But some of them do still push it out. One thing I kind of liked at the end of the range, because the Eighth Doctor Adventures ended about a year before the past Doctor Adventures did. And so in that last year, they actually put out a Paul McGann past Doctor Adventure, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah. And uh, what's your pick for the past Doctor Adventures? Well, I'm going to take one that does experiment, and it's uh, Eye of Heaven by Jim Mortimer, um, who is one of the most persistently... Uh, experimental and daring authors that Doctor Who's ever had. Big Finnish listeners would know him from Natural History of Fear, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, but Eye of Heaven is interesting in that it's it's a first-person uh, Doctor Who novel, which has shifting perspectives between different characters. It's told non-linearly. It actually has a chapter or two from the Doctor's perspective, which is very, very unusual for a Doctor Who novel. And I, and, and it's also Tom Baker, who's you know one of the most alien Doctors. But I think I think the book pulls it off for the most part. Really, what distinguishes it is it, it's it's the Fourth Doctor and Leela, and it's probably the best single Leela story that we've ever had, TV, audio, or book. It it dives into not only her character in terms of her history and, you know, her time with the Seva team and what she learned in the tribe, but it really gets into, you know, how her mind works and how she approaches different situations. And you really understand her as a character on a deep level that you just, even in many of the other books, you don't get with some of the other companions. It's, it, it, it has its critics for sure, but I, I think the ambition of it and, and the obvious love it has for, for the Doctor and for Leela really shine through, and it's it's a really good read. I recommend it. Yeah, that, I, I do remember quite liking that one. And that stuff about character, it made me think that there were other um, past Doctor adventures that did some interesting stuff with that. Like there was a, a novel with Dodo, um, yeah, with Dodo, um, that filled out some of the gaps in her story, um, which is a bit abrupt, a bit stop and start on TV. Uh, and Salvation, one... isn't it? Yes, that's it. Salvation, yeah. and then I think was it Wages of Sin. There was one where um, Liz came back, and I think it was Liz and Joe in the same story. There was another really good one as well. Th- these are all kind of like could have been um, picks for my favourite, like runner-ups. But um, Face of the Enemy, which is a Doctor Light, and it's um, Ian and Barbara versus the Master. Um, so yeah, having said that, you know, this was often quite a traditional range and disappointing in some senses. There are some really, really good stories and books um, in this series as well. And what's your pick? Uh, again, mine's uh, maybe not a sort of um, 
typical or representative one, but it's uh, um, the Infinity Doctors, which was the uh, book that was put out for the 40th anniversary, I think. So um, Doctor Who is still not on TV uh, and uh, no word of it coming back as a regular thing. Um, the Infinity Doctors, if if someone had asked me at the time, like, what should they do for a new uh, Doctor Who thing on screen, I would have said a, a movie adaptation of this book because it's um, it does kind of depend on your knowledge of the franchise and it does do that thing um, that the Eighth Doctor Adventures were doing of like uh, uh, engaging with and pulling apart the lore. Um, and actually, depending on how you interpret it, you could see it as a later Eighth Doctor adventure. It's deliberately ambiguous about which Doctor you're following, um, whether it's an alternative one or from the distant past or the distant future. Um, but yeah, one interpretation is that it's a very late version of the Eighth Doctor and it takes place after the end of um, his book series. Um, but I, I thought the, the sort of idea of it's it's possibly alternative, it's possibly past, possibly future. It it freshens it up a little bit. It's almost like um like a, a pilot episode or, or or kicking off a new series of um of books. So yes, it's engaging with all these forty years of history, but it's also written as a bit of a, a fresh jumping on point and the start of an adventure. Um, so yeah. Uh, that's why that one stuck in my mind. I think it was the 35th anniversary, not the 40th, but um, regardless, you know, exactly what you're saying there is correct. It was originally supposed to be connected with Unnatural History, which makes sense because both of those novels really take this global universal look at the Doctor as a character. And you know, Lance Parkin, who wrote Infinity Doctors, is possibly the writer best known for trying to bring everything together. You know, those ridiculously expansive a history books, um, which I, I can't believe exist. Honestly, they're just so complex, but they really make a good, good attempt at it. Um, but yeah, infinity doctors really works just for that reason. It tries to take all these various continuity points that we know about the doctor as history. And it tries to, put them all together into this story that on the one hand, you could read it as this is the, you know, this is telling us the definitive story of the doctor, or you could read it as this is a story of the doctor. And this is one way it could work. And this might not even be the doctor we really know, you know, or it might be all of them together. Who, you know, it's, it's got this, this wonderful sense of vagueness to it. And, and it's, it's a really interesting read it's as you said it's it's out of place with the rest of the range for sure but it's doesn't yeah I, i've gone back and forth on where to actually file it on the shelf in terms of is it its own thing is it part of the past doctor adventures um that's a really interesting idea you just mentioned of like it's not past present future or alternative it's this almost like platonic ideal of all the doctors mashed together as like this is the kind of uh yeah the sort of story of all versions of the doctor yeah because all the pdas on the back cover would say you know this story features the fourth doctor or the seventh doctor and this one very specifically says featuring the doctor i think they'd like was it was it big finish or the 
PDAs, but like they'd even say, and it slots between this story and this story, and yeah, and this had had none of that. Yeah, some of the other books did. I think they eventually dropped that. The Missing Adventures all did. Um, but yeah, this one's very clearly does not have that as well. It was it, it was definitely an interesting range because, as you've mentioned, there's some really sort of traditional stuff in there. But it does have... I was going to mention um, The Face of the Enemy myself as an example of sort of, especially for the BBC books, it being really kind of experimental and doing something a bit different. It's... It's set, I think it's set during the Curse of Peladon. So while the Doctor and Joe are on Peladon, it's what the Brigadier, the Master, Ian, Barber and the rest of Unit are doing. And it's, it's a sequel to Inferno as well and sort of expands on the concept of the parallel universe a bit further. It's the kind of uh, Doctor Light story that, you know, RTD would do later on. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a proof of concept for that, albeit with a lot of regular at some point characters in there as well um but yeah it, it's a great book and definitely one that um definitely one that you should pick out if if you get the chance to uh it's one of the one of the ones that i do know quite well um well that is all we have time for um but it's it has been absolutely fascinating listening to the two of you talk about this to be perfectly honest because as i said it is uh sort of a bit of a gap in my who knowledge really generally um but yeah it, it's it's encouraged me to go and see if i can pick out a few things go to ebay and spend a bit more money than i should and i, and I can see why people don't dip into these books because you know you've got all of big finish to get through you've got like you know, a decade or two of um more recent novels and audio exclusives and everything and comics and like Doctor Who has just exploded in the last couple of decades in terms of extended universe stuff but um, I would put these four ranges I'm very biased but I would put these four ranges up as my my favourite extended universe things like the favourite era of Doctor Who in general maybe yeah my my favourite era of Doctor Who is the new adventures and you know, people talk about what's my doctor. I would, I've always said my doctor is the Virgin New Adventure, seventh doctor. And it's, in some ways, it's a shame that, I mean, it, it's a near impossible task getting hold of all the uh, the new adventures. The range ended when I was about four or five years old, something like that. So it's been something that to an extent has always been inaccessible to me. And, you know, I've found bits and bobs here and there. I've managed to read the first couple, that kind of thing. But ultimately it's probably something that i'm never ever going to complete it's probably something i'm never ever going to get really that far into uh, for a variety of reasons um but yeah it, it's been really like i say fascinating to talk about it and uh hopefully we shall come back and do more book related episodes soon i know that sam wants to join us for one at some point and we can look at these ranges in a little more detail with more examples and so on um, yeah, so that'd be quite I've, nice to I've, do. Like I've been going off memory today, so yeah, if we do a deeper dive, I'll <laughs> go back in and refresh my memory. Maybe read one or two of them. But but I think that says something as well that it's stuck. Like my memory is not great, but all the stuff we've talked about today has stuck in there, like from fifteen, twenty, or more years ago. Testament to sort of just how good these books often were, I guess. Yeah. 
Uh, we shall leave it there then. So I will say goodbye and thank you to you, Mansoor. Thanks. And goodbye and thank you to Greg. Always a pleasure. We'll see you next time. And we'll be back for more podcasting uh, next week. And we'll be back for some more book discussions soon as well, I suspect. Goodbye now.